This is what you call a packed news day, right? Oh, my goodness. We got calls for new hearings uh, about those January 6 tapes that are just being released. 44,000 hours of tapes, guys. We got a new president in Argentina. This is amazing. There's a new Miss Universe. We're going to talk all about that one, just as the pageant declares bankruptcy. And wow, have you been following the drama at chat GPT. I mean, this is this one is one for the history books. Anyway, we got a lot to discuss. Welcome, everyone, to the Trish Regan Show. It's great to have you here. We are sponsored in part by Legacy PM Investments, one 866 If you're interested in investing in gold or silver, these are the guys to see. We'll talk a little bit more about them, and we're going to talk about the economy a little bit later in the program. But kicking it off with this guy. The Chainsaw. Okay, if you don't speak Spanish, he's basically saying, I'm going to get rid of every single cabinet member there is. We're done. Finito. That's Italian. Okay, I'm going to show you that in just a second. But first of all, here's the headline. I mean, I was stunned. I was shocked last night because this guy, Javier Millet, he ran for president in Argentina. And let's just say, you know, you want to talk about elections where the sort of so-called chosen party tends to win. It often happens in places like Latin America, right? The sort of banana republic-esque type places. Not saying that Argentina is that, but look, I mean, for years, like, the Peronas have been controlling everything. Remember that uh, the song? Don't cry for me, Argentina. The truth is I never left you. Evita. <laughs> great musical, great musical. Anyway, Evita Perón, her husband, Juan Perón, they were socialists. They basically kind of stole from the people. They lived very well, and it was at the people's expense. And this group of people from their party kind of stayed in power over the years, over the years, over the years, and they kind of decimated. Argentina's economy. So that's where we begin this show today. A great nation with so many possibilities, a tremendous amount of natural resources, right? The wealth there that just exists because of what Argentina is, if they could just figure it out and have a decent government to enable the people to do what they know how to do, well, they'd be in great shape. But they've never had that, you see. For decades now, it's just been a lot of corruption, a lot of graft, and many, 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 many social programs. I know a lot about this. In fact, my first job, for those of you that are not aware of this, was actually at Goldman Sachs, where we were trading specifically emerging markets, Latin American emerging markets, including Brazil, Venezuela, Mexico, and Argentina. Thank you very much. So Argentina got some restructuring efforts. It was actually led by a friend of mine, a guy named Bill Rhodes, who was the vice chair at City, and he was sort of the banker to the world. In fact, he wrote a book called Banker of the World, Banker to the World. We're going to have to get Bill on the show one of these days. But anyway, Bill Rhodes went in there. Um, he's much older now. And he restructured Argentina's economy in the 80s and thinking was, oh, you know, it's going to be much better. But it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Because you know what? You're only as good as your leadership. And even though they got a fresh start, they just couldn't make a go of it. And so this has happened over and over and over again. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Like, I cannot tell you what a big mess it is. Inflation is out of control. In fact, one of my friends from Argentina, who now lives here in the U.S. and is so thankful because she does live in the U.S. and she loves this country. I love that she loves this country. Anyway, she said to me on Saturday, this place is worse than Venezuela. She said, Argentina is a disaster. And the dollar's worth a ton there, but Argentina's currency itself, it's a mess. It's been decimated. Inflation is awful, and the people are really struggling. And so you know what? Power to the people. They said enough. And they elected this guy who said, you know what? I'm taking a chainsaw to this budget. I'm getting rid of all the bureaucrats. They elected a guy who, well, let's face it, any way you slice it, he'll be different. <laughs> let's watch. 
Millet, now president of Argentina. Tipo y deporte, afuera. Ministerio de Cultura, afuera. So he's, again, I'll do the translation for those of you that are listening on Apple Podcasts. He's basically saying, I'm getting rid of them all. Afuera, afuera. And this is great. This is an interview where he's speaking with a journalist. He's calling all these government things, you know what? <laughs> stupida, you understand the política stupida. Socialismo, no, no, it's cool. <laughs> He's like, look, it's a total, total threat to our democracy. We're ranking 140th in the world. I mean, gosh, this guy makes sense, right? Like, that is, Argentina needs a total redo. Let's hope that we don't get there. I mean, we have the benefit, right, still of being the world's reserve currency if they don't mess that one up. And so we haven't gotten to the point that Argentina already is in. But Argentina is there because, what do you know, they spent more than they made. What do you think the United States of America is doing right now? $33 trillion in debt and still counting. That is not sustainable, ladies and gentlemen. And yet we're out there spending, spending, spending some more. I mean, this is really crazy. There's no sense of responsibility. I don't know what happened to the Tea Party. This is why Kevin McCarthy's out of a job, by the way, as he should be. Because you know what? You cannot continue on this trajectory and hope that you're going to remain enjoying the lifestyle that you have now. Look, I guess back during the, between, uh, or in the post-World War II era, maybe during World War II, Argentina was kind of the breadbasket to the world. And by the way, they were like Switzerland back then because everybody was immigrating like to Argentina, right? The bad guys from Germany, as well as Jews that wanted to immigrate, they found a home in Argentina. Argentina's like, okay, you have money, we'll take you. And so consequently, they wound up having a lot of wealth that came into the nation and they started producing a lot of stuff for the war, right? They had to, you know, they fed everybody and they were making stuff. And so they had every reason to be able to succeed in that they were really rooted in this capitalist economy. And then the socialistas, they come in. Evita Peron comes in with her husband. I mean, it was Juan Peron, but she kind of took over the deal. And it gave birth to a movement like we see in Venezuela with Chavismo or like you see in Cuba that cost the country dearly. And I think it's an important thing for us to watch right now because I feel very strongly, you know I do, that if we are not careful here in the United States of America, we're going to very much wind up not dissimilar from other countries like Venezuela or like Argentina. Because every single time you try this, and by this I mean socialism, what do you wind up with? Misery. Misery. Because it just doesn't work. And yet we've got these crazy leftists out there that keep pushing this agenda, that, that, that try and push this division. I mean, I've been rereading Tocqueville's Democracy in America. I'm going to start quoting it for you guys because I just find it so inspiring to remember the greatness of this country, what Tocqueville was able to discern even back then. And one of the, the, the parts of the book gets into how so many societies fail because they divide, they divide, they divide, all in the interest of keeping power in one specific group, right? And that's exactly what you're seeing right now. What do you think these activists, Rashida Tlaib, the squad, the rest of them, what do you think they're about? They're about dividing us. And that division has worked for the, for the ruling class, so to speak, right? Because ultimately, no one does well in that kind of scenario, certainly not economically. And so Argentina gets it, and Argentina says, you know what, we're going with this guy. I don't care how many times he says the word mierda, which sounds better in Spanish than it does English, does it not? This is who we want. Here, watch him here. 
Al zurdo de mierda no le podés dar ni I'll un milímetro. ¿Me podés definir zurdo de mierda? Que no todos lo los que, digamos, <risa> los colectivistas, los que ponen, digamos, o sea, esa idea. A ver, ¿Qué, ¿Qué le pones de mierda, digamos? Porque son una mierda. O sea, pero si, clas... no, pero, eso, pero es que eso si eso pensás, descalifica... pero no, pero digo, pero si pensás distinto te van, a, te van a aniquilar. Ese es el punto. Es decir, vos al zurdo no le podés dar un milímetro, porque le das un milímetro y lo tomas para destrozarte. Es decir, usa, digo, o sea, vos no podés negociar con el zurdo. No se negocia. No se negocia con esa mierda, no se negocia porque te van a llevar puesto. Si tienen un golpeador. Okay, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I, I apologize. You gotta come over to YouTube and join our live show because then you can see actually the translation. But he's basically saying, like, these crazy liberals, they're crazy. And they're, they're going to actually, they have been ruining our country and they're going to continue to ruin our country. And so we need to do something about it. He's saying, factually, they, they want to kill you. They want to ruin you. They want to actually just completely cut you off. And it's all in their interest to do so, right? They have their agenda. And this agenda is not in the interest of the Argentine people or the Argentine economy or in the interest of seeing Argentina succeed. You know, he, he said, we're not only superior economically, we're superior morally to what they are trying to offer. We're better at everything. And then that triggers them. And, and since they can't beat us with their real arguments, they use taxpayer money to try and destroy us. And they're losing. I mean, this guy is just... Wow. He makes Trump look like, you know, <laughs> statesman. Actually, well, we can talk about Trump. We can talk about him, but... Ah, wow. I mean, you saw the bit at the the end. I, I think that the word mierda came up against these mierda leftists. But it, it's, it's, it's wild. I mean, guys, this is, I'm telling you, a big deal. It's a big deal for Argentina. It's a big deal that he won. And that is the message that, by the way, Venezuela needs to hear, that Brazil needs to hear, and that right here in the United States of America, we need to hear loud and clear because this leftist movement that is okay with Jewish kids getting harassed on Harvard University's campus, and, and don't tell me otherwise, when you don't expel the kid who is harassing somebody else just crossing campus because... They thought he was Jewish, and that, that kid that was doing the harassing is on Harvard's Law Review, and you got Claudine Gay somehow refusing to expel him? Whoa! I mean, look, the establishment here in America, these Ivy League institutions, these Democrats like Joe Biden and the rest of them, They actually, I think, are, are dangerous to the future of this country and everything that makes our country truly great. And, you know, one day we're going to wake up and we're not going to have the chance to fix it. And then what do we do? I mean, I think this is one of the reasons you're seeing an increasing number of celebrities even now starting to say, wait a second, what's really, really going on here? What's really going on is that you've got an administration that doesn't understand basic economics and frankly really doesn't care because it's not, it's not in their interest to understand it. And that's, that's pretty troubling, guys. I mean, that is really, I mean, I think that fundamentally this is going to be one of our biggest downfalls. So I'm proud of Argentina. And I'm proud that the voters heard the message. And I'm proud that they're willing to take a chance on something different. I mean, hey, you know what? Like, it's not working the way it's going. So why not? I mean, I don't know if this will work. But I'll tell you, I got a note from a, an investor last night. Somebody who actually buys Argentina's debt and, and actually has done some work restructuring that economy, et cetera. We'll have to get him back on the show my friend Hans Humes, and, and let me share with you what he sent to me. 
Hans tends to be a little bit, uh, well, shall we say, on the left. Yes, he just is. I mean, he, he's, I mean, I think he's a realist, but he, he's certainly more left than he is right. And he actually said this was really good news. Really, really good news for Argentina's economy. So let me see if I can pull up what he sent to me. Here we go. Here we go. Because this is, this is important for you to hear. We were just talking about everything. He said, you know what? The Argentine people have made their decision. It is a total break, full break, he writes, from past decades of economic policy. Investors welcome Javier Millet as president of Argentina. Hear that? He said, investors welcome Millet. Investors welcome him. Isn't that amazing? He said, Argentina, this is what I was just telling you, is a country of immense natural wealth and promise in terms of its resources and people. And he said, I expect all of Wall Street joins me in hoping that Argentina's victory in the World Cup just foreshadows the successes Argentina will have under the direction of Javier Millet. Okay, and this is from somebody who, you know, isn't, you know, that, that right. He's actually pretty left, but he's a realist, right? He's a realist. So this is somebody who's investing in Argentina. Look, if you're investing in the United States of America, don't you want us to be working to lower the $33 trillion in debt? I would think so. Well, at some point, the people in America are going to wake up to this. And in some ways, I'm telling you guys, they already have. I want to share with you. Let's see if I can pull this up. I want to share with you some video that has just come in. This thing is going totally viral today. This is of Cardi B, you know, the the pop singer, the rap singer. And, well, you know where she typically stands. Well, she's suddenly waking up to a reality that New York City doesn't have the money it needs to have. And so it's cutting its budget. So she's pretty angry. She's blaming Biden. I think there's like all kinds of blame to go around on this one, including the state of New York, who has taxes so high, and the city of New York, who has taxes so high, that guess what? If you had money, you laughed. Every billionaire that could get out of New York City got out, and they were paying all the taxes. And that was all the money that was going to the schools and the sanitation department and to the police. So Cardi B is all worked up. She did this little video. I want to share it with you, and you can react. I'm, I'm looking at the live chat here. Like, cause you know, I'm an angry right now. reality's catching up to her. I'm an angry. Bitch. Y'all need to get in here, cause I'm about to, I'm about to go off right now, right now. So this is a live video that she was doing. I guess I don't know if it's yeah, TikTok or right Instagram, now. but she Come was doing in. this live, and we're replaying it, minus some of the language. Oh yeah, outside because usually I'll be having like 30,000 people. She right tends now. to repeat herself a lot, but again, I'm going to be looking at your comments. We'll talk video. about it as it's going. I need you to spread this video, and if something happens to me, it's because I'm speaking truth. You're watching so Cardi B, me, the rap artist. She's speaking truth, she says. She's worried she's going to get in trouble because you can't call Biden now. In New York, there is a $120 million budget cut. There's a $120 million budget cut in New York that is going to affect schools, Ooh. public libraries, and um, the police department. Y'all know I don't give a f- about the cops, but like it is what it is. There's going to be an $120 million budget cut with schools, with libraries, and the cops, and the police department. And a $5 million budget cut in sanitation. Of A budget cut in sanitation, we're going to be drowning with rats. We're going to be drowning in f- rats. So we are going to be having a budget cut on these. Mind you, and this is why I said, I'm not. Yeah, you know, this is what happens. I'm not this year. Don't. You can't spend money you don't have. The resume that they send, I don't give a I'm not endorsing no presidents no more. Because how is that? Huh. Because what do you know? This one's not working out so well. For, for um. Schools, library, uh, police safety, and sanitation. Yeah, Joe Biden's talking about, like, yeah, we could fund two wars. We could fund two wars. He's talking about we don't got it, but we got it. Like, we're the greatest nation. No, the f- we're not. We're going through some f- right now. Like, say it. Say it. We're really going through. Uh, we, we, we really, 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 really are f- right now. Oh, dear. Um, okay, so you get, you get the point. Uh, Cardi B is really, really upset. 
So she goes on. She's, you know, she's more of it. She's like, how, how is it that we elected Joe Biden and now New York City doesn't have the money to pay for schools, doesn't have the money to pay for police, even though, you know, she doesn't really care about the police, doesn't have the money to pay for sanitation department. She's all worried about her family because of where they live. I mean, I don't know why she hasn't gotten her family out of there, frankly. I mean, she makes enough money, but whatever. Uh, you know, it's because, Cardi, it's because policies do matter. Tax policy matters. You know what? When the city went to Mirda, <laughs> we're going to use that word from now on. When the city went to you know what, guess what happened? Everyone left. Nobody wanted to live there anymore. When you could suddenly work somewhere else and work from home, if you had enough money, you got the H-E-double-L out of New York City. And so all the city was left with was the people that are crazy enough to still live there and spend all that money in taxes and the poor people that couldn't afford to leave. So if you were smart and you were running New York City, if you were smart and you were running New York State, you know what you would have done? You would have said, you know what? This is probably a good time to lower taxes. Maybe we make this the most attractive place. And then we get the Carl Icons and the you-know-who's all back here. Right, the Carl Icahn being the billionaire who took off for Florida. I mean, how many of them have taken off for Florida? They're all going to Florida with their zero percent interest, zero percent income tax. So all that money that they're making, yeah, they still get to pay capital gains at the federal level. But boy, I'm telling you, they are saving a you know what load by moving to Florida or to Texas or even New Hampshire. And so as they left. The city didn't have money to pay its bills anymore. So that's how it works, Cardi. And the rest of America should try to understand that too. So she doesn't want to get involved in politics anymore. No. Neither does, let me see if I can play this one for you guys. Neither does this guy. Neither does this guy. Here is a comedian who you may have seen before, maybe not. I mean, I, I don't know as not many people know who he is. Um, but his name is is Michael Rappaport. And let's see if I have this for you. I, I want to show you this because he came out recently with a video. He was somebody who was like vehemently almost deranged in his hatred towards Donald Trump. And then he kind of shocked everybody by saying, you know what, I may have to vote for Trump. Because things are that bad now. So if Cardi's upset, and this guy, Michael Rappaport, you know, deranged hatred of Trump is now saying, I think I'm going to vote for him. You got to take that stuff seriously. If it comes down to pig Donald Trump and smoking Joe Biden, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Voting for pig Donald Trump is on the table. I'm sorry. I'm so- I'll still call him slob Donald Trump, pig Donald Trump, and all that. But hmm. we need to get this whole situation under control. Yeah, we need to get a lot of stuff under control. And Joe Biden, who just turned 81 today, he's not the guy to do it. I mean, come on. Did you see this? I got to play this one for you. I mean, Joe Biden's 81. So I guess he's not really up on his pop music. But, you know, if you follow the news, you might have noticed that it's been really hot in Brazil. And so Taylor Swift had to cancel her concert down there in Brazil because she didn't want everybody to be so hot when they were outside. It's like summer, by the way, in Latin America. So, um, well, you might have also noticed that Britney Spears seems to have gone off the total deep end. I mean, poor Britney, right? I still remember her with her pigtails and the cute little plaid skirt. Britney, Britney's a mess right now. And, you know, her, her Instagram, by the way, sort of proves it. And Joe can't seem to know the difference between the two of them. It's quite wild. Here he is talking about his birthday just a short time ago. Watch. Now, just to get here, Liberty and Bell had to beat some tough odds in competition. They had to work hard to show patience and be willing to travel over a thousand miles. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or 
or or for Britney's tour. She's down in it's kind of warm in Brazil right now. Britney's tour. <laughs> oh, yeah. at least he knew that it was Brazil, but he meant Taylor Swift. Britney Taylor, you know, whatever. He's eighty-one, guys. He's eighty-one. I guess we're supposed to cut him some slack. But look, he's eighty-one. He's not a sharp eighty-one. And we actually have real stuff going on. And we don't want to become Argentina. All right, so let's get ahead of this. Let's let's deal with the $33 trillion in debt. Let's deal with bad tax policy so people don't just leave the country or leave New York City. I got to say, you know what? Like, whatever you want to say about Trump, his economic team was stellar. There was all that money sitting overseas because corporations didn't want to bring it back because they were going to get taxed. He said, we'll give them a tax holiday. We'll lower the corporate tax so we're more competitive. Why should Ireland get all the benefits, right? Or anybody else for that matter. Let's have this industry here in the United States of America. We will be competitive. That's what we need. Just somebody who can think clearly about this stuff and not be so entrenched in their self-interest. Tons of self interest out there. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there's some other stuff going on. Other stuff going on because uh, Mike Johnson, Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, is releasing 44,000 hours of the J6 tapes. Thank you, Speaker Johnson. You know what? I've said this all along. I mean, you guys need to do whatever you need to do for security, right? But we should be able to see this. Like, why shouldn't we see it? They gave it to Tucker. I was like, glad that they gave it to somebody. But I'm still like, wait a second. Shouldn't we all be able to see it? Like, don't pick and choose journalists. Provide it to the public so everyone has a shot equally at at making their own decision about what may or may not have transpired. So that's the upshot. We are going to see these things. And now today, breaking news, a series of Republicans are calling, representatives in Congress are calling for a new set of hearings on January 6th. Because with the release of 44,000 hours worth of tape inside the Capitol building that we haven't seen before, the question becomes, is the narrative that was floated by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats indeed true. We, we, we need to kind of ask some serious questions, I think. I've pointed this out to you guys in the past, right? Nancy Pelosi, she got word earlier that there was going to be a little bit of an issue right at the Capitol building and people were going to show up and there was going to be a protest. And normally you might take some steps and say, okay, we're going to bring in the Capitol Hill police. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to make sure that nobody gets near the Capitol. Nobody's able to come in, right? That's like normal. That's what you would do if you heard that there's this protest coming because, well, you should. Like, that's normal course of business, but she didn't do that. No, instead, she decided to call her daughter. Yeah, her daughter, Alexandra Pelosi, who happened to be a documentary filmmaker. And Alexandra said, great, you know, let me come in. I'm going to shoot the whole thing for HBO. So apparently Nancy didn't have any, like, friends over at NBC News or CBS News or CNN to call. No, 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 no. She called her daughter. Her daughter, who then in turn sold it, the video, to CNN, which CNN briefly mentioned was Alexandra's, but then went on to play it in a loop, calling it a CNN exclusive, allowing the American people to think that somehow CNN had cameras in there. Nope, nope, nope. Those were cameras belonging to Alexandra Pelosi, daughter of Nancy. You don't think that's a little bias? I mean, just the perception of bias here. You know, maybe maybe Alexandra is a class A journalist. Doubt it, but let's just go with that assumption for a second. Even if she is about as clean and squeaky clean as they come, you don't think that just the perception of your child's tape, as opposed to an actual organization's tape, 
making the rounds and being the only thing that people could see of what happened inside the Capitol building. And then everybody said, oh, no, we can't release the Capitol, Capitol tapes. Like, those are under lock and, and key because security reasons, we're not going to show anybody. We're only going to show Nancy Pelosi's tape? Come on. This is what we saw over and over again in the Capitol hearings. Watch. They didn't always tell you, by the way. I mean, they, they said the first few times. I think this is the ABC News version. Take a peek. I'm going to come to punch him out. This is my mom. I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol. You notice how it says CNN exclusive. I'm going to be happy. The footage was shot by filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi, the speaker's daughter, for an HBO documentary. She was with her mother as she fled the Capitol. Are you calling Later, she can be heard checking in with Vice President Mike. Ah, okay. So then it goes on. Later, she can be heard checking in with Vice President Mike Pence. That's all caught on tape. So the hysteria, and they played like hours and hours of this, it was all from Nancy Pelosi's daughter because she was the one with the access. And they told us we couldn't see the 44,000 hours worth of tape because it was a security violation. (laughs) Really? So you saw outside the Capitol building, you know, that was not insignificant. And, and that was, you know, something to see, but what about inside? I mean, I do think it's important if you want to understand this entire story, you need to see everything. It's really actually critical that you see everything you see as a journalist, I want to see all sides And I want to see what one might characterize as the impartial evidence. In other words, just the cameras that were on the walls so that then I can make my own decision rather than having to see this played in a loop. I want to show you again. You see how how there's a CNN exclusive bug on the upper left-hand side of your screen. The footage was shot by filmmaker Alexander. So this is World Pelosi, News Tonight doing this story. Documentary. And it, with her he's saying that this is this is video. He does credit Alexander that was shot by the speaker's daughter. But at some point, you know, those things were played over and over and over and over again, kind of in a loop on CNN with the big bug CNN exclusive. At some point, they stopped telling you it was Alexandra Pelosi's footage. And this then became just the footage. And that was a problem. So today we have learned that several members of the GOP representatives there in Congress are calling for another set of January 6 hearings because they want a chance to go through those 44,000 hours of tape that we never got to see. I'm for that. What about you guys? I just want to take a look. We'll see some of your comments here. Ah, it's great to see you all here. You know, we're live on YouTube. We are live on Facebook. We are live on Rumble. And if you have not subscribed to the channel in all of those places, do me the favor of making sure that you do that. Let me see. I'm just going to pull up some of your comments right now because we have a lot more to get to. I want to talk about a new poll that just came out of New Hampshire showing that Nikki Haley is gaining steam. I don't actually think it's really going to go anywhere, but nonetheless, we should talk about it. I want to talk about this Miss Universe thing. I do want to talk about chat GPT. Sam Altman. Wow. I mean, this is like as big a scandal as it gets, right, in the business world. Anyway, good to see all of you here. Don, welcome back. Don has been just such a loyal, wonderful addition to our little community uh, yes, we are live, Don, and I I love seeing him here, and I, I love that you've been uh, here just over and over again. Rob, good to see you as well. Glenn, welcome back. Good to have you. Again, everybody that's just watching or tuning in right now, do me a favor. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're watching on Facebook, great. Randy, I see you there. Subscribe on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. You can subscribe on Rumble. It is really terrific to have you. I want to turn to these new poll numbers just coming out. We see the New Hampshire results. I like looking at New Hampshire because, well, I grew up there, and I think that New Hampshire usually kind of has its its finger on the pulse of what's going on. 
And, you know, they don't necessarily love Trump in New Hampshire. They tend to be, you know, a little bit more sort of on the straight and narrow. But I think they've also figured out that things are not going very well in this country economically, militarily, in terms of the border, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's still way ahead right there. But look at what's interesting here. 18% Nikki Haley. Wow, Vivek. This doesn't surprise me. I, I thought he'd resonate there. And when I've gone back to visit family, I always seem to see, it's like Vivek is like living there. He's always got some kind of event going on. And so that has certainly impressed me, the dedication to which he's showing uh, to the New Hampshire people. Whereas DeSantis, like he can't really be bothered. And I find that odd. I mean, I find a lot of things about him odd, shall we say. 7% to Ron DeSantis. And that makes total sense in light of, one, that he sort of was ignoring the state, and two, he's trying to run to the right of Trump. Like, good luck with that, buddy. Anyway, um, it's it's interesting to me that Nancy, Nancy, Nikki Haley's climbing as steadily as she is. There's a lot of good things about her, but, you know, the downside is that she's also trying to be too many things to all people, including to those over at CNN, because here we are in the middle of a really contentious situation going on in the Middle East, and this is war, folks. This is war. And you've got a group of people there over in Gaza that don't like, they don't like Israelis and they certainly don't like Americans. And so don't kid yourself on that. You know, people, oh, you know, it's just Israel's fault. No, 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 no. They don't like, and this is part of the whole CRT, DEI stuff. They don't like anyone that's, well, for lack of a better word, white. I mean, it becomes very racial, right? So this is like, okay, well, we like the brown people, but then you got to be like the right kind of brown person because they don't like Nikki. They don't like Vivek. They don't tend to like Indians from India or Indian Americans, which of course Vivek is one, Nikki's the other. It's a very successful group of people here in the U.S., one of the most successful immigrant groups. They tend not to really like Asians as well. I mean, that's sort of what that whole Supreme Court lawsuit was about, right, at Harvard, because Asians weren't getting in because they had to make room for others. So that's really not a meritocracy now, is it? Anyway, Nikki Haley was on CNN the other day talking about whether or not we could bring people here as refugees from Gaza. I don't think too many people are going to go for that. And by the way, if this word gets out in New Hampshire, I think she's going to fall like a rock. Because even the Democrats in New Hampshire, when there was an opportunity to bring Syrian refugees to New Hampshire, Jeannie Shaheen, the senator from New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, nobody wanted anything to do with it. Okay? And those are Democrats. Well, here's Nikki trying to be all things to all people. Let's play it. There are so many of these people who want to be free from this terrorist rule. They want to be free from all of that. And America's always been sympathetic to the fact that you can separate civilians from terrorists. And that's what we have to do. But right now, we can... Hmm. Yeah, we've been somewhat sympathetic, I guess. I mean, hopefully we can. I mean, it's problematic in that if you look at the educational system... If you can call it that, in Gaza, well, they don't even have Israel on the map. I mean, people are taught from a very young age to hate Israel and to hate America. So before you bring them there or here, you might want to think about that. No country in the Middle East wants to welcome these refugees. I mean, how sad is that? Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, for goodness sakes. I mean, Iran's the one that greenlit this whole thing, according to the Wall Street Journal. They ought to welcome refugees, and they don't want them. Why? Oh, because they're worried about the political discourse. They're worried about the havoc that it might create and might cause. And yet America, we're supposed to extend our, our arms? I mean, Nikki Haley's going to have to I think, finesse that comment a bit more, especially on the national stage, because that could come back to harm. I don't think anybody's truly willing to take these kinds of risks. Not when Christopher Ray keeps telling us this is the head of the FBI over and over and over again. I mean, every day he's out with a new warning that there could be Hamas-style attacks here in the United States of America. So think about that. Think about that, guys. I mean, it gets back to, to what are we doing? Like, why do we have... People in our country that seem to hate us so much, why do we seem to hate ourselves so much? That's really 
what seems to be going on, this, this kind of self-hatred. I mean, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Someone tried to say to me the other day, well, you know, it was the, the pilgrims that invited all the Indians to dinner, Native Americans, to dinner on Thanksgiving, and then they poisoned them and they all died. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm sorry. Like, not even the craziest liberals actually thinks that. <laughs> Where are you getting your information, buddy? And it's not true. There were a lot of challenges back in those days between the Native American population and the pilgrims that came here. But Thanksgiving is actually about celebrating those rare times when we could come together. And isn't that what you want to teach kids? About the times that we could work through our differences and sit down and learn from one another and come together? Shouldn't that be the message over and over again that you're drilling in? Instead of, no, 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 those bad pilgrims, they resulted in the, the death of so many Native Americans because, well, they brought diseases with them that they didn't know that the Native Americans didn't have immunity to. But, you know, the, the left wants to blame those pilgrims, which I'm guessing you and I, I mean, my, my family came kind of recently during the potato famine from Ireland. Definitely didn't have anything in common with the waspy pilgrims from way back then. But nonetheless, it's somehow my fault, your fault, and America's fault. And this is what they are trying to teach young people today, which is wrong. It's divisive, but it's effective for their political message. And I'm just pointing out that this political message stands in the way of our nation and future success, and it's got to stop. Really interesting story that I want to tell you about. I'm actually going to play the video for you tomorrow. I mean, if you want to look it up in the meantime, you're welcome to. But this is this is quite captivating. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up and I'm gonna quote from this because there was a KGB agent back in 1984 who actually warned of a kind of brainwashing that could happen in America, and he said that this was actually the biggest effort by Russia way back then. All right, so this is, this is kind of a, a spooky story, <laughs> but you should know about it. 39 years ago, a KGB defector sat down for an interview and he described some things that I would say are pretty darn disturbing because he was predicting effectively what's happened. He talked about how the KGB would use brainwashing to destabilize a society to the point where they could fully demoralize a society and therefore turn it against itself and make it totally ineffective. Sound familiar? This is Alexandrovich Bezmenov. Some of you may have seen it already, but probably you haven't. I mean, I hadn't. I just, I was really struck by this, really, really struck. He said that Russia had a long-term goal of demoralizing the United States. I mean, I would say you could add maybe China to that too and, you know, a few others along the way that don't like us very much. But this is very interesting because... He predicted that they would make it very difficult for people to understand what was what. And in doing so, would bring America to its knees. This is pretty chilling, pretty chilling stuff. He said, and I'm going to quote here, that 85% of the work that they were doing in foreign espionage was actually, quote, a slow process, which we call either ideological subversion active measures, or psychological warfare. So what, is that, what does that actually mean, right? What is psychological warfare? He said, you know, it's actually a very kind of legitimate process. You see it with your own eyes. It's all happening out there in the open, right? That's what we're seeing right now. But you kind of change the perception of reality for people. I quote, what it basically means is, to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest 
of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. He describes this process as a great brainwashing that has four basic stages. The first is called demoralization, and it takes 15 to 20 years to achieve. And you do this by going to the colleges, by going to the students. You you change their thinking at the educational level. Right? When you think about the 60s and the hippies and how things started to change then, you see, they wanted to take America down because America had emerged as the hegemonic power of the world after World War II. And so you get into the school system, you start there, you start demoralizing, and they did. And then you continue it. You demoralize and demoralize, and it becomes a process that is effectively, in his words, irreversible. And that demoralized person no longer knows what's what. And they can look truth straight in the face, reality straight in the face, and try and tell you it's not true. I mean, what do you think's going on with these kids on TikTok that are saying that Osama bin Laden, we have to understand where he was coming from, and, you know, somehow was ju- they're trying to justify 9-11, just like Hamas isn't even trying to. These same kids are trying to justify and they did. I mean, they, they say at Harvard, they said that it was Israel's fault. They're justifying the deaths of 1,400 innocent people. But, I mean, Hamas is, is just saying it didn't happen. I mean, this is what is most dangerous and most frightening. This destabilization through the creation of polarized tribes. Again, he's saying this in 1984, Okay is actually going to create an environment in which people flat out reject facts in favor of narratives and opinions. I mean, you don't know if day is night, night is day. You don't know if you're a man or a woman. You can't even follow a conversation because suddenly they could mean he or she. And they keep talking about they. You got two people that are, are, were originally born male competing in, in Miss Universe. I mean, spreading through the world, right? Anyway, Miss Nicaragua won. A biological woman won Miss Universe. so excited. She was literally shaking. That's your headline. By the way, that, that's a great swimsuit. I, I like that swimsuit. <laughs> I, I want that swimsuit. Anyway. Miss Nicaragua, a biologically born woman, is now Miss Universe 2023. And that is a headline. It's a headline these days, right? Especially when you have so many people that are not biologically born women competing. Take a look here. The the Thai transgender tycoon buys Miss Universe. So this woman bought Miss Universe. She was originally a man. And, uh, well... Look, capitalism still works, right? I mean, they they just had to declare bankruptcy. I know a lot about this because uh, I was in the Miss America pageant, totally different system. They have talent in that pageant, unlike the Miss Universe system. But she, um, well, let me go to my own experience. Like some 30 years ago when I was in it, I was like, what, are you kidding me? I had to sign a contract saying I had been born female and I had to give him a copy of my birth certificate. I'm like, really, 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 really? This is sort of weird. They were ahead of their time. They saw this coming clearly at Miss America. And so, yes, I've always been a woman and I signed that and I just thought, well, that's strange, but necessary, I guess, apparently. Nowadays, it's really necessary. I judged the Miss America pageant just last year and it's also had its challenges some of which have nothing to do with all that and more to do with the sort of woke community and the refusal to accept beauty pageants as a ways for, for young women to win scholarship money. Look, it paid for Columbia University for me, so which is neither here nor there these days. But back then, 20 years ago, you know what? Was it, was it, yeah, it was 23 years ago. Columbia was pretty darn, it was a good place and it was not what it is shall we say today. I think things have happened very, very fast. And if you look at this Russian KGB agent, basically he was saying things can happen very, very fast. It only takes like 20, 30 years. It takes 20, 30 years. And now suddenly 
a woman finds herself having to go into the boxing ring with somebody who was born a biological man. You're looking at a picture on the screen of two people that were supposed to have a boxing match in Canada. So the the person on the left, that's a naturally born female, and she was supposed to compete against someone on the right who was an, is a naturally born male but has been in the transition process. And so the woman is like, Wait, what? They told her this. They told her this some uh, 60 minutes before she was supposed to compete. And she's like, well, I I don't think that this is going to work because I'm actually frightened. You see, there's a study that she cited, and I went and pulled. They they did an article on this in, in Science Daily, and it shows that a man can punch... 162% harder than a woman. And that same statistic applies even when, even when you look at the strongest female up against the weakest male. So I get that this person is transitioned and is now a female. But if you've had the benefit of all of those years working out and being a man and having testosterone, even though you flip a switch and say, you know what, today I'm a, a woman. Okay, great. Go, fine. All right. You know what? You do what you, you do you. Fine. But is it really appropriate for you to be in a boxing ring against somebody who was born female? I love what this woman did. The woman is a true feminist. She said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing it. I will forfeit this. She said, I'm out. I am not going up against a biologically born man, even if he's transitioned, because he could kill me. I am risking my death. Because I could get punched by this person who had many years of testosterone to build muscles that I don't have. And so they said, well, you lose. She forfeited the the match. Go, you go, girl. You know what? We need more women saying, I'm out of the pool. I'm not competing in the pageant. I'm not in the ring. Unless I'm there with another biologically born female. And you know what else? We don't. We don't need the psychological warfare the insanity of trying to question whether we are male or female. I get, by the way, I'm very empathetic. And I've known people that have struggled with this and I feel for them. And I'm all for it. You know what? You want to go through all that? Who am I to tell you otherwise? But you know what? That's when you can't actually get in the boxing ring, okay? And maybe you sit the pageant out. You do you. But don't do it at the expense of women that were born as women. We wouldn't have the same opportunity. It's not like you're going to see a woman who transitions to being a male jump in the boxing ring. No. I mean, where are the women standing up to this? That's kind of important right now, right? Liberal women, they've been brainwashed by this whole system. And at some point, they're going to have to recognize what's what. We're brought to you, as always, by our friends over at Legacy Precious Metals, LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560. we got a market that's higher today. But you know what? These are long-term, big problems that we're dealing with. $33 trillion in debt. Argentina is finally stepping up, saying we're going to change things. Maybe the U.S. could too. I don't know. I certainly hope so. I think that things have to change, and we need people, responsible leaders in there that can tackle these real issues, that have an understanding of the economy, and that will really confront them head-on in real ways because we need that fiscal responsibility. In the meantime, yeah, we're going to be still dealing with inflation, not as bad as Argentina, right, because still world's hegemonic economic power until China and Russia and Iran and the rest of them totally do us in with their demoralization 
of society that causes us to question the most basic things of all. I mean, things are going to have to change. This all relates, by the way, I should say, to to the, the controversy in the AI environment. If you've been following this mega news out of ChatGPT today, I mean, it was going on all weekend. You want to talk drama. Who knew there could be so much drama in the tech world and in the business world? Well, Sam Altman, who was the founder of ChatGPT, he got ousted ousted over the weekend by his board. And his board actually was kind of a strange board because none of the board members actually were interested in making any money and they didn't have a stake in the company. They just wanted to make sure that they could protect and promote the sort of altruistic values that they had for the future of the world. And so they wanted to make sure that ChatGPT was on board with all that. Well, you know, sort of the anti-woke crowd would say, wait a second, like what, what's going on, right? Like are they just trying to promote their own agenda and their own, uh, you know, nonsense, effectively, as opposed to truth. It's not entirely clear. We don't really know, other than we do know that this particular board did not like Sam. Part of the reason for that was Sam was trying to make this a profitable company. He had been mandated to do so by Microsoft, which put a $17 billion investment into ChatGPT. What Sam had realized was that he really couldn't compete with other players unless he had a capitalist component to all this. Elon Musk, in the, in the meantime, who, by the way, was on the board and jumped off shortly after Microsoft got in, he was friends with Sam. He had had a conversation, this is very interesting, with Sergey Brin like years ago from Google, and he was really concerned because I guess I, if you read the, the biography, this is all in there by Walter Isaacson, the Musk biography, what Bryn was saying was that, you know, machines are effectively going to take over the world. And Elon's like, whoa, wait a second, that's not really good. And he's like, oh, you're a species. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I want the human species to be the dominant player. And I don't want technology being the dominant player. In other words, human beings need to stay five steps ahead of the computers for the success of the world. And this is why, you know, in part, he's all about smart people having more kids because, yeah, you want to stay ahead of the computers. And there's this concern out there, and it's shared by Elon and others, that maybe ChatGPT, OpenAI, this whole thing, AI in general, artificial intelligence, is moving at too fast a speed. And so Elon decided to plunk $100 bucks down with his friend Sam and start this OpenAI ChatGPT company. And then, you know, one by one, all the board members started leaving because people didn't agree with what they were doing. Elon left, and he's kind of trying to do his own thing through... Tesla right now on the AI front. In the meantime, Sam's there and he's got Microsoft breathing down his back and they're like, wait, 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 we want this to work. We want it to work. We gave you $17 billion. And then he's got his board. His board is like, slow down, slow down. We want to make sure that, you know, you're DEI friendly enough, you're CRT friendly enough. I think Elon would say, hey, that's part of his fear. That's part of his concern that, you know, you're going to have one team controlling everything. In fact, he said something sort of to that effect. I mean, people are like, well, how are we going to actually manage all this? And he said, you're probably going to have some big, big bureaucracy. Here he is quoted just last month talking about what he saw sort of as the government's future and role in AI. Yeah, I don't know what exactly. Perhaps, perhaps the Department of AI. Um, probably, listen, I think the probability of there being some sort of AI regulatory agency that stands on its own, similar to the FAA or FCC, is likely at some point. Do you think so? I think so. Yeah, I mean, who knows, right? But I think the hope is that you're creating a product that's not insanely biased because if it is, well, you know, then we're all kind of, we're all sort of done. We're done. And that's when you have the boxers in the ring where somehow the one that's biologically born male is supposed to fight the one that was biologically born female because, you know, the AIs tell us we have to. And so this drama is unfolding in real time. Over the weekend, like on Sunday, they brought Sam Altman back, the board and Sam, they were talking, trying to get him to stay. And they thought they had a deal reached. In the meantime, they put in this interim CEO, a woman who used to work at Tesla. And then by Monday morning, Sam was back out not there. And they had a new interim CEO. The new guy is uh, also a Microsoft person because Microsoft owned Twitch and he was the CEO of Twitch. And now he's the 
CEO interim of ChatGPT, OpenAI. Very, very incestuous industry, shall we say. And it was announced that Sam is going to Microsoft so they can run their own AI unit. So Sam's going to Microsoft. Okay, they're going to have a for-profit thing there. And then today, 500 employees out of their 770, so you're talking like 70% of the company, said, bye, we're leaving, and I guess they're going over to Microsoft too. So I don't know what's going to be left for OpenAI. I did actually get the subscription. I don't use it that much. I was joking with Sean Spicer earlier on his podcast. If you get a chance to listen, I said, well, I used it one night when the furnace was making some really loud noises. My husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm checking chat, chat GPT, which told me to call the furnace company. Haha, <laughs> smart. Um, anyway, you know, look, I, I think that it does have a tremendous future. It can actually be an enormous aid to society in so many ways, but you kind of got to get it right. I tend to just believe that the capitalist incentives are good. Elon Musk typically has already, in the past, always had a capitalist motive to his company. So whether it's sending people to Mars on SpaceX and the hope for colonization there, he's still getting paid in the process, right? The Pentagon is cutting big checks by sort of effectively outsourcing their space program to him. Or if you look at his Tesla operation, yeah, he's selling cars. So he's making money as he tries to find a new energy source for people. This one, he didn't have really a mandate to try and make money. He probably would have eventually, but I think it was sort of like, you know, let's see what's going on in the beginning. I think with Twitter, it was another somewhat pet project. You see that everybody's dropping out. Disney's like, oh, we're not advertising on Twitter. But you know what? Everybody's still on Twitter. A lot of people, a lot of conservatives are stepping up. And they're advertising on Twitter. I'm still on Twitter. I love Twitter. It's the one place where I really feel like, you know what, you can, you can say what you need to say. He bought that for an insane amount of money. What was it, $52 billion? Crazy, crazy amount of money. He tried to lower the price, which he was unsuccessful in doing. I told you he would be. That deal was going to go through. Delaware Court in history has only allowed one breakup deal to happen. So, yes, he bought Twitter, and it was probably one of the greatest things he could have done for humanity. People are still on there, whether Disney's advertising or not. And I think eventually he will make it a capitalist model. The desire is for Twitter to make money. And I think he'll get there. But open AI, I mean, that's, that's very interesting now. So I don't know what's going to happen to the company. I mean, if everybody leaves, what are you left with? And all the intellectual capital that's going over to Microsoft. I mean, they're getting all the people, right, who know all the stuff. And so Perhaps this is a win for Microsoft. I believe Microsoft's stock trading up on the news today, but they're going to have some challenges, probably legal challenges, et cetera. I don't know if the company eventually just like goes under. I mean, they want their $17 billion back, you would think. You would think, although, you know, they what do they budget, like $80 billion a year on, I'll, I'll tell you these numbers, actually. I know them. They They have a pretty big amount of money that they put into R&D in general. So maybe they can actually spare the change, but it's not insignificant. It's $17 billion that they might have to just wash down the drain unless, of course, they get all the personnel and the personnel are able to bring some of this stuff with them, some of the technology. But they do spend a lot on R&D and they spent a lot on this particular operation. So we'll see here, ladies and gentlemen, whether they're really able to make a go of it. They kind of have to. And they probably see this really as just such a big, big deal. They see it as so critical and so important because you know what? You know, this is indeed, this is the future. This is the one thing that has been saving tech stocks, if you would. Um, it, it's a lot of money, as I said, but let me pull these numbers for you for some context, right? Because I think that's helpful. Microsoft's net profit expected to be around $84 billion this year. So yeah, $17 billion, that's a, that's a lot. And then they spend, uh, I had those numbers completely backwards, $27 billion a year on R&D directly. So nearly $30 billion is what they're spending on R&D directly. $17 billion, I think they can afford to lose it if they kind of win the long race on this. We shall see. But what a saga. What a saga this has been. And the stakes are very, very high. Very, very high indeed. Hey, listen, if you have not subscribed to the channel, do me that favor. Make sure you subscribe to the audio podcast on Spotify and Apple as well. 
We're going to continue our conversation tomorrow. It's so great to see so many of you here. Um, I see a lot of new people as well. So I love having you. Eric, yes, it's live. We are live. (laughs) Trust me. Trust me, I'm way too much of a perfectionist. So if this was not live, it would probably look a lot better. Anyway, it's great to have you here. And, um, you know, it, it's 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 indeed, I'm just looking through again, some of your comments here. I, I, I hear you. I, I totally get it. Yep. I get it. I get it. The brainwashing thing is a frightening, frightening possibility, Rob. I agree. Anyway, do not forget to subscribe. Do not forget to go over to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe there and hit the automatic downloads. It helps me a ton. We never charge for any of this. We are thankful to our sponsors, and I will see you tomorrow.